morning, Liberty Lake Church. Won't you join us as we sing Only King Forever? And uh, for those of you who've noticed, for this song at least, I'll be playing on my grandfather's 1960 Effector electric guitar. So we'll see how this He's goes. very excited about it. Very excited about it. Victorious, you are the 
be seated. Good morning. Oh, nice to see everybody this morning. Uh, for those of you that might not know me, I'm, I'm Gary. I'm one of the elders here. Just a few announcements. Um, Kids Rock will start up again next Sunday on March 7th for uh, kids through fifth grade. Newborn through fifth grade. Okay. Uh, they're still in need of volunteers. So if you uh, can help out, uh, please talk with uh, Kristen or Elise. Um, are Kristen and Elise here? Don't see either one of them right here, but yeah, we can point you at them if you if you can't find them. Uh, Ladies Fellowship Monday, March eighth at five thirty p.m. They'll be playing bunko. Please invite a friend to come with you and bring a snack to share. Um, next Saturday, March thirteenth. No, that's two weeks. Is uh, men's breakfast um, that usually uh, starts at eight or sometimes it's a little later than that, but um, if you're interested in helping out with serving as a cook, come about 7.30. Um, what? Oh. Uh, I, I can guarantee you bacon and pancakes, and after that, it uh, depends on what anybody shot, maybe ran over, whatever. Um, Today after service, there will be um, cake in the foyer. We're kind of saying hello, but you can't go anywhere to Travis. Uh, goodbye, but you can't go anywhere to Travis today. Sorry. So he's he's uh, leaving his, his position, but he's not leaving us. So, um, And then also just uh, uh, to let you know, a small group that meets on Thursday nights at uh, Bill and Ann Gottfriedson's house. Uh, we are getting ready to start a new study, so it's a good time for um, anybody that's interested in, in starting with a, a small group. Uh, get in touch with um, Lee or Bill or myself, and uh, we'll get you set up on, on what we're doing. So, all right, let's worship. Would you join us for Holy is the Lord? We stand and lift up our hands for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down Worship him now, how great, how awesome is he, and together we sing, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. 
and together we sing. Everyone sing. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with His glory. Holy is the Resurrected King is resurrecting me. 
your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat the resurrected king is resurrecting me in your name I come alive to declare your victory the resurrected king is resurrecting me the tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days his body there would not remain our god has robbed the grave our god has robbed the grave your name your name is victory all praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Your name, your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. is resurrecting me is calling you have you come to the end of yourself do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling you oh come to the altar the father's arms are open wide Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. 
come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he? God, we thank you for for just that reality of we can come boldly before you 
and um, just declare of this wonderful, joyous reality that you have risen from the dead. And I'm, I'm reminded of that this week, of the knowing the power of your resurrection. Man, what does that look like? And uh, I think every single day you show us and remind us and grow that in us as we seek your face. Sitting down and just saying that I'm a, I'm a Christian or, oh, I can do this is a lot different than getting up and actually getting my hands dirty. And so, Father, would you move all of us to do that, move all of us to uh, have open hearts to what your word has to say, and would you speak through Shane this morning as it be uh, your words, not his, uh, straight from the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kids, for uh, nursery, you are dismissed to go down with Miss Julie. Got a custom mark in it now. Good morning. How you guys doing? It's awesome. I uh in preparation for the sermon this week, uh, we know what the text is. It's it's Jesus' resurrection, and uh, it's an incredible passage. And um, what I'm excited about sharing with you today is uh, the relational nature, uh, or the personal nature of this of the resurrection. This intimacy that happens in the story, and it's told by by these eyewitnesses that we have. And um, as I was wrestling through it this week, it reminded me of uh, some childhood stuff that I remember from a very young age. Um, I had a gentleman, his name was Smitty, uh, and I don't know how you guys do nicknames uh, in, this, in the process, but his real name was Ralph Smith, and they called him Smitty. So I have no idea how all that works. If anybody knows, you can correct, you can share it with me. I, I don't know. But I remember Smitty. He was, um, he was actually part of um, a church group that was involved in rescuing my mom and my brother and sister and I, uh, as she was a single mom at the time, my dad had left uh, right before my brother was born. And so they found us, or we found them. I don't know how all that works, but we found them uh, somewhere around. My, my brother was less than a year old. Uh, I was three turning four. And this church took us in. It was an E-free church, uh, Charter Oak, back in Battleground, Washington. And I remember Smitty specifically um, we'd hang out at his farm, and he had sheep, and he had all kinds of opportunities for growth. I got to shovel manure. I mean, there's just so many blessings in that place. But one of the things I remember very particular that he would do is every Sunday morning when I'd come to church, I'd walk through the doors. I can still see the doors. I can still see the rock structure on the outside of this of this church that I would enter in, and Smitty would be standing somewhere in there greeting people, and he would stop me, and he would say, How's your walk with the Lord today? And he asked me that every Sunday. Now, as a child, do we appreciate those things? Not in the way that we should, but I was a young enough man at that time. I was a, I was a young boy. 
um, probably uh, somewhere in the ages between somewhere between five and seven years old. And so when when somebody official in the church stops and talks to you, it makes a big deal, right? You talk to some of the young men here, four, five, six years old, man, if you'll engage them, they'll be like, why, yes, I would love to share with you everything I know. Make sure you got some time. But I remember Smitty always asking me, how's your walk with the Lord today? How's your walk with the Lord? And as I was wrestling with this text this morning and seeing the personal nature of the resurrection, which results in the personal uh, you'll see it in the, in, as we go through the personal nature of the gospel. I was reminded again, uh, and, and I'll share another story later, but just of the, the relational connection that happens in the church through the grace of God that is, that is poured out on us in the nature of the gospel itself, in the resurrection of Jesus. And so I, my hope is that you'll see that today and you'll be encouraged, and then for the rest of your lives you'll be asking one another, how's your relationship with the Lord today. fun part is if you're actually honest, because that's when it gets exciting and you have to take time to get the answers, which we all love to do, don't we? Yeah, I come to church to talk about your problems. Love to take time to hear them. That's a joke. Come on, you guys. I know it's been a long week, but... At least join me for a moment, okay? Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Follow along as as I read out of the ESV version this morning. At least I hope it's the ESV version. Let me double check. We found out, nope, I'm wrong. Oh, wait, no, I got it right this week. Uh, we realized last week, uh, or one of these weeks ago, I was reading out of a different text. I'd sent it wrong to Julie, and she did what I gave her, but it wasn't actually ESV, and then... But anyway, so it is today. We've got that part fixed. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. In this text, uh, part of what, part of what, uh, again, this is kind of just how I'm wired, uh, what hit me right as I finished that text was, what am I going to do next week? Um, So I apologize, but that's how my head works. Every now and then I'll be like, involved in a thought, and then I get distracted because something else grabs me. Um, but there's all kinds of compli- just weird stuff that happens in, in the text uh, that's in Mark next week, and I'm wrestling with what to do with it. So I'm just sharing with you what happened in my head just a moment ago. But we're back here at this text, and we're going to stay focused on this text, Lord willing, this morning. What's amazing to me in this process, as you read through that text with me, did you guys see some of the personal 
nature of the resurrection? Did you see some of what was happening in this story? I love one of the first things that we see in this is here we have these women, the women that we mentioned last week, the women that, that Mark has mentioned now a couple of times going through this process. They're returning on the first day after the Sabbath with the spices to anoint Jesus, to actually come and, and uh, to, to take care of his body and to prepare him uh, for for his death, for for to be in the tomb and and uh, to come and see him, and I love the fact that they were there. I love the fact that we actually see the personal details of what they're dealing with. Right? We know from the text last week that they actually went back to where they saw him buried. They followed from a distance. They watched where they buried him, and so they came back to take care of him. So here you have. These faithful women who have been following Jesus, who have been ministering to Jesus, still continuing to do this after his death, after the Sabbath, on the first day. I love the, 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 the detail that's included in this. Verse 3, And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Look at the, we have a personal conversation that's happening between these three women. Somebody in, involved in this story told them about their conversation because of the amazement of what they found, right? When you guys see something spectacular, do you share it with anybody? Yeah, we do. The more crazy, the better, right? I mean, if you watch something really spectacular, you've at least got one friend that you call right away. Hey, I got to tell you about this right? Somebody got told something, and for whatever reason, this conversation, we, we get details about what they went through and the conversation they had coming up to the tomb. Personal, intimate detail. One of the, one of the um, thought processes here is that this is part of the evidence of the personal testimony, the eyewitness testimony. I love... Um, the uh, cold case Christianity, and I, I know I've said this before, but it would be a great study. If you're ever wondering uh, about the details, because if, if you look at the other two gospel writers, we're going to look at uh, two of them today, Matthew and Mark's account, but both John and Luke actually talk about two angels being present. Like, <gasps> the Bible's incorrect. Just relax. If you go and actually look at cold case Christianity and the way that officers investigate crimes and they look for details, um, if you, they actually aren't troubled by variation in details like that. In fact, um, we found out very early as teenagers that if your story lines up too correctly, then your parents know you're lying. Because it is not possible that you guys did not talk about this if you have all of that detail figured out. What? They know that about the human nature, and so they actually look for these kind of details and specific things that would identify that this is a personal eyewitness testimony. And the fact that the women were talking about what they're going to do with the stone that they saw rolled into the way means that they were probably from fun country, not planners, because my bride would have brought a team to get the rock out of the way. She would have come prepared for that event. Isn't that amazing, though? Look at the personal conversation that's happening. And then something spectacular happens. They actually come and they see an angel. And one of the things that I love about this, we're, we're, we'll look at the text here uh, just so that we can get our heads around what's actually happening. But um, 
Look in Mark chapter 28. You can start turning there now uh, where we're going to look at one of the other texts that talks about this. But here we have an angel that's, that's present when they show up to the tomb. The rocks moved, and, and there's this angel sitting in the tomb, this young man clothed in white garments. Turn to Matthew 28. Do I got something wrong? Matthew 28. Good thing you're following. Can you tell it's been one of those weeks? Man, we got to get seatbelts for this place sometime. (laughs) Matthew 28. I'll read my notes. Look at that. It says Matthew right here. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was an earth, a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Here we have this, this angel showing up, and I, I love the fact, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about this, but any time that an angel shows up, everybody falls, like, they freak out. I mean, they are trembling in fear. They are terrified by this presence. Um, I, the, I remember we were uh, doing summer camp. Um, this was back when I was in Bible school, and uh, I was out, I was one of the leaders at summer camp, and I thought of myself as a pretty good outdoorsy guy at the time, grew up in the woods, grew up farming, you know, we had thunder and lightning, but I'm back in the Midwest, and it turns out thunder back there, lightning back there has a lot more, uh, just, they have more respect for it than I did. And so I'm, uh, we, we've got this, this camp going on, and, and I'm teaching the kids about the thunder and the, the gospel, the resurrection. I'm teaching them about this. And all of a sudden, a storm rolls in over this little camp that we're in, and a bolt of lightning hits the cabin right next to us. Happens to be the only empty cabin in the camp. Hits the top of it, and we went it, we actually could go in later. We went in with the kids and showed them what happened, but it hits the top of it, goes through this huge, probably an eight by 12 beam, and blows out the end of the beam on the other end of the cabin and leaves shards of that beam buried into this huge fir tree behind it. That, that we had to, we, like, they got sledgehammers out to try and remove these huge chunks of this beam that were buried into the tree. Let me just tell you what. Thunder and lightning had a whole new meaning for me after that. I mean, it flat shook our lives at that moment. And the crash, the experience of that, I suddenly did not have that, that caval, uh, cavalier mentality of, ah, I'll go out in a thunderstorm. There's nothing to worry about out here. That was impressive. Kind of think it might have been for me. Our kids will never forget it either. But when, when this young man shows up, the response of the women was right. It was correct. 
They're in the presence of an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God. In fact, we see it, we won't take the time this morning, but we see that all throughout uh, the announcement of Jesus' birth. We'll look at one spot, it's actually for John the Baptist, which is, I love this, because for the herald of the coming Messiah, uh, his promise comes through an angel as well in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Let's double check in my notes, make sure I got it right. Luke chapter 1, verse 11 says this, uh, and this is, this is for um, Zechariah. It's John the Baptist's dad and his father, and he was a priest, and he and his bride, were in, uh, they were later in their life. They were beyond childbearing years, as was a, a custom at the time. And he's in the temple serving the Lord, and uh, verse 11 picks up there. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. The thing I love about this text, too, is that when, when Zechariah comes out, everybody's around going, dude, what happened? Like, you took way too long to come out of there. What was going on? We were getting ready to, you know, try and, I don't know if they had the rope tied on them at the time to drag them out if they died. I believe that was part of the custom. But people were free. They were really worried about what was happening. Because he took way too long. If you read the rest of the story, it's an incredible account of Zechariah. In fact, when he gets done with his encounter with the angel, he can't even talk because he didn't believe him. And so the angel said, until your son's born, you won't speak. So can you imagine trying to tell a story without being able to use your words? I mean, that would just be, that'd be so tough to do. And, and, but in the same sense, he was terrified as well. And, and I love that reality. If you and, and I were to be met by a messenger of the Lord from, from heaven, in this sense, you guys, we would be terrified. And we should be. The beauty of the nature of the gospel is that the response to those who respond correctly, those who, who tremble in the presence, to my knowledge, every time the messenger says, don't be afraid. I've got something here to tell you. And it's, it's just amazing. So let's look at the nature of the message, the personal nature of this message. The first thing that we see in this, that the angel says to the, to the, the ladies here at the tomb, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he lay. It's an incredible reality. Here, here the gals show up, and this angel, this messenger is here, and he goes, I know who you're here for. You seek this person, Jesus, the one who was crucified. Um, the, the, in the Greek, the, the word he is risen uh, is probably better translated, he was raised. God raised him from the dead. He's going ahead to meet you. Come and look. He's not here. I love the fact that in this text, one of the commentators pointed out, he goes, uh, he, he actually mentioned, isn't it interesting how specific he was about who they were looking for? This is the Jesus that you know. This is the one that was crucified. I'm telling you about the one that you saw die. That's who we're talking about, and he's raised from the dead, and he's going to meet you. Do you think in your life as God, as a, as a very personal God, do we think of him as being really engaged in the details of our lives? I mean, he says he numbers the hairs on our head, right? 
as we've discussed before, some of it make it easier for him than others. But he knows us that intimately. He knows us that well. Do we think of him that way? Especially when life stinks. Especially when things are, are, are horrible and painful. I can imagine that at this point in time, for the disciples, this is probably the lowest time in their ministry life. This is probably the bottom of the rung for them. When I start thinking about the personal nature of God, I run to Psalm 139, and I love what David says about this, because here this, this messenger is describing for them, he's explaining to them, hey, this is who you're here for. Just so you know, I know what's going on. My message comes from God, not from me. Let me tell you what you're here for. Let me tell you what you are in the process of doing. Look at what Psalm 139 says. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. He knows the words before they're even on our tongue? This God, creator God of the Bible, knows us intimately, knows our hearts, knows our thoughts. And he's, dis- he's displaying that for the women as he's explaining what they're there for. As he's sharing this message, he goes, I know who you are, and I know who you're looking for, and I have a message for you that's personal. And he adds to that. I put it in my notes. Tell my guys and Peter. Don't you love that? He actually highlights Peter right here. Tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The angel's sharing with them a message from Jesus saying, go tell them this. Go tell them to meet me here. I'm coming just as I told them before. Well, let's go back and look at where he told them. Mark chapter 14, verse 28. I love, this is in the, this is in the context of Jesus uh, telling Peter he's going to deny him. Hey, you guys, just so you know, this is going to happen. It's not going to go well for you. Pete, you're going to deny me. Of course, Peter agrees with him. No, he doesn't. He argues with him. He's like, not me. I'm the disciple that'll do it right, even when the rest of these guys don't. Look at what Jesus says in Mark 14, 28. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. You see that in the midst of him talking to, the, to his disciples, telling them that he's going to die. He shares with them this little nugget. After I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is not a random message. This is a specific message that Jesus would know because he was there with the guys. It's something that he gave them in that conversation. Uh, There's a good chance that the women weren't actually at the Mount of Olives when they were having this discussion. 
So how do the girls know about this if it wasn't for this message from the angel? It's an incredibly personal message. Part of the wrestling for me this week, and, and it's one of the one of the unique things about Scripture for me. That you know, I've taught this passage before, and we focused on the resurrection, and 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 we're going to do that really soon. You guys know Easter's coming, right? You guys are aware of that. Okay, just making sure you are aware. Um, it's coming soon, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna go back and look at the resurrection some more, and and celebrate that at that time. But what grabbed me as I was noticing all of the personal connections to the to the resurrection was how incredibly personal the gospel is. This God that knows all of these things, this God that was there at the resurrection, he was there at the crucifixion, he laid out a messenger for them to encourage them, to draw them, uh, to, to fulfill the, the mission that he called them to do, and, and he's providing them with all of these, uh, with, with the personal side, but also he's going to provide them with the Holy Spirit. That same God is, through Jesus Christ, through the resurrection, has provided for us a personal gospel as well, and I think it's incredible and we're going to take a moment and just look at it because as I was doing that this week, I was like, why aren't we teaching this? And for me, in my heart, it was like, why don't I do the gospel this way? Why don't I share the gospel this way? So hopefully, well, it won't happen. I just had that random thought. Maybe this will be the new four points of the gospel, but it's not going to happen. Just They already got those. But look at the personal nature of the gospel. My hope is when we're done with this, that you you will be encouraged, you will be challenged, and you will find joy and hope that you maybe haven't even you haven't experienced um, in thinking through the gospel for yourself today. First point personal nature of the gospel. God knows you before. God knows you before the gospel. God knows you before before you do anything. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. The text says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be, justified, shall we be saved by, uh, by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God that through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I think it's an incredible fact that while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners and his enemy, Christ died for us. He demonstrated a personal relationship. He demonstrated his love for us. He demonstrated the solution for our issues before we were even interesting. How does that work in a relationship for you guys? Does that work out very well? 
You know, in uh, in the work world, right? You have people in different different structures, and uh, if you have if if you're used to that, and you have somebody that's very prominent, you want them to notice you. What do you do? I'll give you a hint. Although you can get noticed quicker for bad behavior, it doesn't work out well for you in the end, right? <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, we re- we can get really quick notice if you do something wrong. Um, and in fact, so often as parents, I think we, uh, at least for me, I was, I was really good at noticing the wrong that my boys did. My bride was better at helping me to see that, that that's probably not helpful, um, to be focused on that. What I love about this is the, the nature of the gospel is that when Jesus goes to the cross and he dies for you and for me, when he dies for the sins of the world, he does it before we even acknowledge him, before we make any move toward him. It's done pre us. And yet he knew us, and he knows the sin, which I think is so incredible, because one of the spots that we see this is with the woman at the well, right? So God knows this before he actually acts, the gospel moves before, and then look at what he does with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. One of my favorite stories about the grace of God, John chapter 4. Verse 16 through 19. The woman at the well, she was a Samaritan. Jesus comes. He's offering water. or She offers him water, or he asks for a drink. She offers, and then he says, I've got something better. They go through this whole dialogue. And then Jesus says to her in verse 16, uh, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, I only chose one passage, um, mostly because I, I love the fact that in, this, in the personal nature of the gospel is that God engages the areas in our lives where, we're, where we have sin, where we have, uh, where we have failure and weakness and flaws. He engages that. And he does it with the woman at the well. And what was her response? Uh, you're a man from God, because how could you possibly know that? And to have the details correct. What? How does he know? I mean, he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. They don't interact. I can't imagine that her story's, you know, popular in the local Jewish gazette. I don't know if they had one, but... I doubt that that was on the, on the prominent news articles in town in Jerusalem. How does Jesus know this? It's supernatural. He knows, uh, he knows us before our salvation. He knows the intimate details of our lives. And yet he still chose to go to the cross. That should blow our minds. You guys ever found that dealing with people is difficult? Anybody? You can raise your hands. Yeah, some of you are married. Some of you have kids. Some of you have jobs. Some of you have family. Okay, we all have family. How does that? Yeah. 
People are difficult. I'm difficult. I realize none of you would agree, would think that. People are difficult. They're painful to deal with. Especially sinners. Because they do things that hurt us. They do things that are selfish. I love how Jesus addresses us when we think about the personal nature of the gospel. Look at what he does with dealing with sin. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. There's two things that I love about this text. One is that we are in such a relationship with one another, we actually care about each other and the sin that's in their life. It, it, we should. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I, I have friends that that uh, are um, that don't agree with my view of love. Their idea of love is you let people do whatever they want with no boundaries. And um, I love Mark Gunger's take on this. He goes, you, if you take a child and you put no boundaries on them, what do you get? A monster. Absolutely. Uh, you know, if, if I didn't put boundaries on my boys, they would be dead today. It's like, no, stop. Stop running the four-wheeler with your brothers and the paintball guns through the fields full of rocks. Somebody's going to die. Do you know when I, we finally put a stop to that? Well, we, ha- we had to stop it because one of them we had to take to the hospital because we found the four-wheeler down to the bottom of the ditch and the two of them up trying to do first aid 350 feet away from where the four-wheeler stopped moving. Found a bump in the road. The passenger goes, woo the four-wheeler does this and everybody's got broken stuff. If you didn't put boundaries on my children, they'd be dead. Why? Well, partly because they're mine, but uh, they're boys. They need boundaries. They'd eat Snickers and Mountain Dew all day long if they didn't have boundaries. And you all know that's not good. I love the fact that, there, that we do that. We care for one another. Love, love in the relationship of the gospel is not just giving us what we want, but it's actually giving us what we need. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just leave it there, but he says, hey, the personal nature of the gospel is that we deal with our sin. So as soon as you get to the point that you don't have sin, then go start helping your brother with a speck in their eye. Okay, who wants to volunteer? I've got a line. We'll make a list right here of people that can help us with specks. We'll call them the speck inspectors. The specters. That sounds like a great group. You see what Jesus does with the sin in our lives? The gospel is so personal, it's about your heart first. 
Jesus knew us before, and he died when we were his enemy. He died when we were incapable of responding to him. He invites us into the gospel, and then he says, hey, by the way, I know the sin you have in your life, as he deals with the woman at the well, and we see in other spots where he actually knows what they're thinking. He confronts them with what they're thinking in their hearts. They're not saying it, but he goes, hey, why'd you say this? Wouldn't that scare you? Your parents come along and say, hey, what was that attitude? I heard that. What? Wouldn't that that terrify if you actually knew he was watching and could hear our thoughts? We saw it in Psalm 139. And his response to that, his answer to that is deal with your own sin. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. If God has not been confronting you on sin in your life, there's a good chance the Holy Spirit's not present. If God's not confronting you on issues of sin in your own life, there's a really good chance the Holy Spirit is not present in your heart. Doesn't that feel good? God wants us to address our sin. The personal nature of the gospel is deal with your own sin. He mentions in that text not to judge or you'll be judged. Now, I get it. I'm not running around condoning everybody's sin or we're not acting like everything's wonderful. But boy, you better make sure that that judgment you're using on others has been applied to your own life first because God says he's going to do that when you get there. I think we should take this pretty seriously. Personal nature of the gospel hits deep within our hearts. And I believe that it should. The joy of all of this as we address our sin Paul says in Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul has this, this relationship with the Lord that he recognizes that the stuff that God's doing, the work that he's doing, the sin that he's revealing in our lives, the, the thoughts that he's dealing with, the actions that he's, that he's confronting us on, that he's going to finish the work that God is faithful and he will complete it. Is that the gospel you know? Is that the relationship that you have with the Lord? At times, I'm, I'm thrilled by it. At times, I'm deeply convicted by it. And this week, I found myself very hopeful. Because when we look at the cross, when we look at, at the death of Jesus, many of us would say, I mean, ultimately, that's, that's what we look at as the end of our life. It's, it's the final moment is when our life on earth here ends. And yet, through the power of God, Jesus is raised again, and we have personal testimony about that resurrection, about the hope that the disciples have, the transformation of their lives from weak, scared, fearful individuals to men and women who out and die for their faith. 
and change the world. We have the scriptures here. We sit in this, in this church because those goofballs believed the testimony and witnessed the, the personal resurrection of Jesus and testified to that. And it's that God who knows our thoughts, who knows our sins, who loves us in spite of our flaws and prepared in advance for you and for me a relationship with him. It's that God that Paul says, I'm confident he will complete the work that he's began. So when you think about the gospel, when you think about this, I, 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 uh, sometimes I wrestle with the, the process of uh, praying a prayer. I, I, don't, I don't do that as, as much as a, as a gospel process. Um, but there is a text that talks about how we respond to the Lord, and I'm going to look at that here in just a minute. But if in this process of discussion this morning, at any point you have recognized that you got a log in your eye, and if you're not sure about it, ask your spouse. Serious. That's a great way to find out. And if you, if you don't have somebody that, that in, in your life right now that can give you that, uh, come and talk to me. Or one of the elders will be glad to tell you what your problems are. That's a bit of a joke. We don't like doing that. It's not actually a joy for us. Um, but I think it's what God's called us to be as a church. But if that's where you're at, then I want, you, I want to encourage you to exercise 1 John 1, 9. We, we read it last week. Confess your sins. Confess your sins to the Lord. When you realize that, when you see those things, confess them, and God is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. But I want to encourage you this morning that if you don't have that conviction, if you're not seeing sin in your life, I want to really challenge you to consider the words of Paul that maybe there's some work that needs to be done in your heart, and, and we actually need to engage the gospel and make a confession of faith and, and begin a relationship with the Lord. Paul, in uh, Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9, he says this, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the wet mouth one confesses and is saved. From the, for the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When we think about the gospel and the personal nature of the gospel, it affects how we live. What's my favorite car? You guys are sinners. I just want to point out that I do not hate Toyota. I was confessing sin to you that Sunday, and you've used that against me. It's a wonderful thing. What's my favorite car? Blue Ford Mustang. I do like Corvairs. Had one of those really early. How do you know that? I drive one. I confessed it. I talk about it. It's a big part of my life. It's something important to me. 
I get to heaven, I'm not asking the question, I'm saying hypothetically here. If I get to heaven, and I'm standing before the Lord, and he says, hey, sure seems like that Ford Mustang was more important to me, to you, than me. That'd be a major problem for me, wouldn't it? Major problem for me. But you guys know that because I talk about it all the time. Now, it's not fair using me as an example because you guys paid me to talk about this stuff. And I would do it if I wasn't paid because I love it. I believe this is what God's called me to do. But do people know that we're his children? Do our mouths reflect the faith that is in our heart? Do we talk about our Savior? Do we talk about our relationship with the Lord? Do we interact with people on that reality of our life? The nature of the gospel is not just a head knowledge issue. It's something that transforms how we live and what we talk about and what what consumes our time and our days. The personal nature of the gospel requires us to have a passion for him, to have a passion that, that, that actually overflows out of our life. What is most important to you? What is it that consumes all of your time? I had a pastor friend of mine say that if we, if we drank water in equal proportion to the time that we spent with the Lord, we'd all die of thirst. If we ate, food, if we ate our food in, the, in a direct proportion to the time we spent with the Lord, we would all die of starvation. Now, I think he was being a little, exe- a little harsh. It's probably only 99% of the church that would die. The personal nature of the gospel requires us to be engaged. And I love that it's this simple. It's not easy, but it is this simple. So the question that I have for you this morning is, how's your spiritual walk with the Lord? The Christ who is crucified has been raised. And he went ahead of his disciples to Galilee, and he, he fulfilled what he promised. He answered the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he began a personal relationship with those guys and those gals that has been going on for generations. And it's a result, as a result, you and I are here today talking about our faith. How's your spiritual walk with the Lord? I mean, do we respond as we see in Romans? Do we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart? That Jesus Christ is Lord? Do we deal with the log in our own eye first? Do we recognize the personal nature of the gospel, that this God that knows our thoughts before they're even on our tongue, that he knows our hearts and the wickedness that we started out in the condition of our frailness and the fact that we are enemies of his? Do we know this God that says, in that condition, I love you enough to extend my righteousness and I'll give my son to make a way? 
That's the gospel, and that's the personal nature of Christ's resurrection. It's for you, and it's for me, and it's for every lost person that is, that is desiring to know him. It's, it's for the world. So this is our challenge for this week. How's your personal walk with the Lord? Do you know him? Have you confessed with your mouth this week that he is Lord? Do you believe in your heart that he is? Have you confessed any sin? I want to give you a moment this morning as I close. I want to ask you to just close your eyes. We're not doing any altar calls. Don't worry. I mean, if, if you want to come up, you can. I will gladly pray with you. But I want to take just a minute, and I want to give us a time of private, quiet confession. Or if you've got an issue, something that you've seen, even in the text, I don't know if it's in the text, I, I'm confident if you're a child of God, he's got it on your heart already. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings conviction when we have things in our lives that don't line up with his word. I want to give you just a moment to confess those things and to make that right. And then when we close, I'm going to take just a second, and uh, I want you to pray with me, or just agree with me, on a confession of who Christ is, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to testify to what I believe about Jesus and who he is as my Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity to do that personally this morning. Um, you know what's really scary for me is how many uh, people I think have grown up in church thinking that they're Christians because they go to church, but they've never actually made a profession of faith. They've never actually chosen to follow the Lord. So. Take a moment in quiet reflection. God, open our hearts to the areas that we need to confess this morning, the logs that's in our own eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning I want to confess that uh, I wouldn't, hadn't even seen it until just now. Um, just an, a, a bit of an attitude of bitterness and anger. I've, I found myself um, being a little judgmental of other people, expecting them uh, to behave even better than what I was behaving. So, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for that. And... Uh, this morning, God, I, I pray that you would help each of us um, when we have sin in our lives, God, that you would make it as obvious as a log in our own eye, that we would not be able to tolerate our sin and just sit on it. Thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. And this morning, God, I want to confess my uh, joyful my joyful hope that comes from knowing you as my Messiah. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you know the wretchedness of my heart before I was reconciled to you. And Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your faithfulness, your, your obedience, your sacrifice on the cross. 
that you went to the cross and took the payment of my sin, the wrath of God that was, that was owed to me. I thank you for that. And Lord Jesus, I believe the testimony that we have seen today that you are risen, that you are alive at the right hand of God the Father, awaiting the arrival of your church, preparing for us a glorious existence with you, an eternal existence with you. And I just want you to know, God, I am grateful. I'd like to say, I believe and help me in my unbelief. Because there are so many times where I realize that although I say I believe, my actions tell me different. So God, I, I, I need you um, to complete the work as, as Paul is so confident that you're going to do. Lord, we acknowledge that uh, we trust you to do that and we give you the glory for everything that is good that happens in our lives because we know it all comes from you. May you be glorified this week in the hearts of this church, of this body, as we wrestle with what it means to have a personal intimate relationship with you that affects what we say and what we do. God, help us to live in such a way that the world sees us and says those are clearly disciples of Jesus. We give you the glory in your name. Amen. Won't you join us for our final song, It Is Well. Jesus.
it is well uh, with you, Lord. That wonderful story of you rising from the dead remains with us through all the way all the way to now in 2021, Father. And um, God, it's incredible how that story of Mark ends in technicality with the women running away. And uh, Father, I think you leave that open for us with the question of what are you going to say now that you know the truth? What are you going to share now that you know the truth of the resurrection of the Lord? With the further telling of that story in the other Gospels, you just expound on it, arriving up in moments with the scared disciples to declare peace. And uh, God, you do that even now. You show up in the most hard of hard, hard points of life, and uh, you declare peace over it. And so, Father, um, as a brother with my church family, um, I. Uh, I want to receive it with everybody here. Peace, Father. And not as the world gives, but as you give it, Lord. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.